The Fourth Wall, Episode 2, James S. Murray. You're listening to The Fourth Wall, a new podcast at Den of Geek that pulls you into our conversations with the creative people behind your favorite movies, TV shows, comics, and more. My name is Michael R. I'm the podcast editor here at Den of Geek, and we're hoping that a lot of the editors and contributors here at the site will get involved with this, with the various interviews that they conduct in all the areas that Den of Geek covers, whether it be movies, television shows, comics, books, and a lot more. In fact, today we're going to share with you our second edition of the podcast with an author who also happens to be on TV, and that's James Murray also known as Murr to fans of Impractical Jokers on True TV. But this is a project that's totally separate from that <laughs> mayhem that he and his friends do on that Practical Joke related show. This is a horror novel that James Murray wrote called Awakened. And it's a debut novel for him. He co-authored it with Darren Wearmouth. And it's a Publishers Weekly and Sunday Times bestseller. And Murray spoke to us about the inspiration for his action-packed horror novel debut. And he teased us a little bit about the rest of the trilogy that's still to come. Now, for those of you who are not aware, Awakened tells the story of a creature that is awakened under the earth when construction crews are extending a New York subway line to New Jersey and the resulting attempt to contain the threat engulfs the city, the president of the United States and a secret organization that knows more than it's letting on awakened came out on June 26th, 2018. And the next book in the trilogy, the brink is coming out on June 18th, 2019. And so James Murray spoke to us uh, last year about his first novel and also started teasing some of the details of the second novel, The Brink. So let's take a listen to our interview that we had with James S. Murray, author of Awakened. Well, hello, Murr. Hello, man. What's up? Thanks so much for joining me today. Now, is it? Do you still go by Murr even in your author persona? You call me whatever you call me whatever you want, but <laughs> Murr is fine. <laughs> okay. So now the horrific happenings underneath New York, right? This happens when the Z train is extended to New Jersey, mm -hmm. which is a premise that sounds like it's based on a real frustration that you might have with the New York subway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Z train, I live downtown now, right? But I used to live in Brooklyn. The Z train ends at Broad Street. Why don't they extend it to Staten Island, you know, and, and, <laughs> and to Jersey being perfect? So it does come from a real place of pain, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, how did the idea come about to have the subway involved? Because it sounds like, you know, it's more than just releasing something that's been contained, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I used to live in Brooklyn. Obviously, the guys and I grew up in Staten Island. And, uh, as a Staten Islander, a native Staten Islander, you know, it is very frustrating commuting to Manhattan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but it came from, you know, when I was commuting to Brooklyn years ago, when I was living there, you know, sometimes you'd come out of the subway, you'd, you'd take the subway late at night, it'd be like two, three in the morning. There were many times, I lived way in, out in Bay Ridge. There were many times I'd be on the train and the car I'd be on would be empty. It'd be just me in there. And uh, like 14 years ago when I wrote the book, spent a year writing it sometimes the the uh, train would lose connection with the third rail 
It would happen a lot back then. It doesn't happen as much anymore with the newer cars, but and you'd be plunged into darkness, and the air would go off, and you'd be alone in a car. It's like two in the morning, and you're like, "This is this is kind of scary." And I've always been <laughs> obsessed with like thrillers and you know horror in general, in general, and and subway cars and trains. I'm a huge train buff, you know. So uh, that's where the idea hatched while I was commuting back home, probably late when I drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I had this idea for this like short story. That short story is in Awakened, untouched from 14 years ago. I had this idea. I told my friend about it. He said, you know, write the short story. Let me read it. So I wrote it. I sent it to him. So like 20 minutes later, he calls me up. He goes, this is a book. You should write what happened before and after this. So I wrote, that's chapter six in the book. So if you can believe it, I wrote all of Awakened around one chapter. Not knowing oh, wow. what. Yeah, that was the idea for the whole thing. And so I wrote, I figured out what, what happened that led to this and then where it went from there. I was going to say, because I would have thought you would have started it around the mayor and the president meeting there in the I did uh, not. pavilion. <laughs> I did not. I, I, I started it around, you know, there's a chapter in chapter six, the middle of chapter six, where the two cops are on foot walking through the tunnel. And they hear the sound of a little girl's voice from the bre- from the breach going, All right, ah, right. help me. You know, <laughs> that's what that was the first chapter. That's that's what inspired the whole book. Wow, cool. But uh, now you wrote this story, like you said, 14 years ago, mm-hmm. before Impractical Jokers yeah. became such a huge phenomenon. And you couldn't get it published because mainly you just had no agent to make it a solicited script, <laughs> manuscript. You ready for this? Not only could I not get it published, I couldn't get it read. The only people that read it were Q and my mother, and they both loved it. <laughs> well, my mom, my mom has to like it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But Q loved it. I sent it out to like every publisher in New York, unsolicited, as you said, and it got returned to me unopened. They all just sent it right back because I, I was nobody. You know, the guys and I from Jokers were regular guys. We didn't have a cousin in the business or an uncle that worked for the network. We weren't <laughs> yeah. cast. We weren't discovered. No, trust me. You look at the four of us, nobody would ever discover us. <laughs> you were like, all right, <laughs> four average looking guys from Staten Island. So um, it was the craziest thing because, you know, you spend a year of your life working on something, believing in it. And, and you know, I, at the end of that year, I felt like I'd put together a really exciting, fast, action packed kind of pulse pounding thriller that captured the the energy and the craziness of a real emergency you know a lot of times you see uh, books or you, you read a book or you see a movie or a tv show and you're like that just doesn't feel real to me you know like that moment when things are going crazy it, it is chaos you know and it's just your your brain is only partly working as you're trying to absorb all this new information you know and i wanted to capture that and uh, so the, the book reads like the best episode of 24 you'll ever see, right? So at the end of the year, I spent this year writing this, this exciting thriller and to, to not even get somebody be, to be able to read it, it is worse than, if I get rejected, I could have dealt with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but to not even get considered is a, is a hard pill to swallow for sure. Well, now, of course, you know, probably it was easier for you to get an agent after the fact with uh, Impractical Jokers in the mix, but... Why was this the moment finally in 2018? Was it a constant state of trying on your part or did something no, or someone no. else make the connection? The guys and I, you know, we, we obviously so much of our lives is in Practical Jokers and it's related businesses, right? So we do, obviously we tour, we do the show, uh, got the movie. we do the cruise, <laughs> we just did the movie, which comes out next year. 
Uh, we do Joker's After Party and Inside Jokes. There's like a lot of extensions of just a TV show. It is over the past eight years of doing Joker's, it has just grown to fill up more and more of our lives, you know? And the, the four of us had like a moment, like maybe like a year and a half ago, where we were like, if I saw the guys anymore, they're my best friends, of course, you know, I love seeing them. But if I saw them anymore, they w- we would literally be living together in the same apartment, you know. <laughs> uh, and we, we all had this kind of like realization that there has to be something outside of just our lives together or we're all going to lose our minds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so we had this kind of mutual moment where we realized this. So around that time, you know, we started we were like, okay, what can we do? We, we literally had a meeting. Say, what else can we do that we won't drive each other crazy? You know, because the show is so much about our real relationship and our friendship. So, uh, you know, Sal started doing a lot of solo stand-up. Joe does a ton of charity work and anti-bullying work. Hugh has a graphic novel coming out called Metro. And I said, well, guys, I don't know. What, shoot, what should I do? And the guys said to me, what about Awaken? Well, it was called Subterranean at the time. They said, what about Awaken, the book you wrote? You loved that. You spent a year doing it. And I was like, you know what? I did love that book. Let me read it again. And I opened up the laptop. I read through it 14 years later. And I really was like, this is a great novel. This is fun and exciting and, and, you know, and action-packed. And I said, let me, let me try it again. So I sent the exact same manuscript in to HarperCollins, and they ended up buying the trilogy from you. So pretty cool. Well, that's speaking of that den of geek last spoke to you just before this book came out. But Mm. now, like you said, awakened is set to have a couple of sequels to make this thing a trilogy Yep. with a new book coming out each summer. So is this whole run from your original story or is Darren Wearmouth, your co-author bringing in some new material? The, uh, the plot of the whole thing is, uh, came from me. It's, um, you know, obviously book one was always planned to be a trilogy. So there's a lot of seeds, even in the original draft from 14 years ago, for what, where it will go. And then Darren, you know, when, when HarperCollins bought the first book, uh, they said, okay, we need you to you know, work on it for like a month to polish it up, will you update it, get it into shape. And I said, guys, I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of time anymore. And uh, I said, what do I do? They said, well, why don't you work with like a, an, uh, another author, like a best-selling author, to kind of whip it into shape and modernize it. And they, they set me up with like a, like a dozen different interviews. I interviewed a ton of authors. And Darren and I immediately hit it off. He is the nicest guy in the world. He's a gentleman. He is um, an excellent writer. And the cool thing about working with him is that he, we, him and I have very complementary skill sets. You know, like my skills are, other than getting my nipples pierced on the TV, <laughs> my skills are, you know, I'm good at like pace and dialogue and action and cliffhangers because, you know, I'm, I think in those terms from TV development and uh, in his skills, he's excellent at character and description and overall structure of a, of a novel. So we, uh, we worked together and kind of whipped the book into shape into what you have now in, in bookstores and uh, book two and three are much more collaborative, you know, where we're riffing on ideas and building on each other and things like that. Uh, but the seeds of all of this were laid down in book one for sure. Um, but he has been uh, uh, just a, uh, I wouldn't even call him a business partner anymore. He, he's obviously, obviously now a dear friend of mine. You know. Well, presumably we're going to see more of the foundation for human advancement with Van Ness and Caverty oh, sure. tackling different strategies to take on the methane menace, as I like to call it. Yep. <laughs> so is, is that really where it's going to be exploring, expanding beyond New York? Well, you know, we've already, I've already announced what book two is called. It's called The Brink. 
Okay. Uh, and book two does take humanity right to the brink. Uh, and book three is on, and I have the cover art too. I, I'll, I'll release it soon, but it is scary as hell. Book two is very much, the, uh, Awakened is very much about obsession. And the first book is about a, a, the mayor, of course, Mayor Cafferty, who has been so obsessed with success and his goal and his dream and his legacy that he loses track of everything. He loses track of what's right and wrong. He loses track of his marriage. And, uh, and he has to come to terms with that in book one. And when book one ends, obviously everyone has changed dramatically because of the events under New York. And uh, book two is about obsession as well. Uh, another person who is equally obsessed Albert Van Ness, who's the leader of this kind of shadowy foundation that is referenced and you see the, a, a bit of in, at the end of book one. Book two is all about, obviously, Cafferty and Van Ness, both men equally obsessed, both men wanting revenge on each other and going after each other. And it is very much about the foundation, book two. And book three is about, uh, well, when you take down the foundation that's been hunting these creatures the past 80 years, what happens then? Who do you, what, yeah. what, what do you think book three is about? <laughs> Any guesses? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I would say that if you want to get rid of the beast that's protecting you, you're going to have to deal with the other beast. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, very good. Book three is uh, tentatively titled, like, it, well, I have no idea what it'll be called yet, but the idea <laughs> is extinction is the third one. Yeah. There can only be one monster on this planet. There can be only one apex predator on Earth. <laughs> right. Who's going to win? Yeah. Well, no one can accuse you of not having the stakes at the highest possible <laughs> level. <laughs> well, now I have to ask, what's one example of something that the collaboration between you and Darren, where he really punched up something that wasn't in your original story the way you envisioned it, where you kind of went, oh, man, that's good. I wish I had thought of that. Uh, I mean, it's so much of book two and three is an equal collaboration between us. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. in that in that sense when him and I were brainstorming ideas for book two and three, it was a fortunate position because I'd sold book two and three before book one even came out. So we were able to really go through where we wanted to take the story and pepper those things into book one, yeah, you know? Okay, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is you'll find out in book two and three exactly. And you'll see the references back in book one. You're like, Oh God, it, got it, got it. It's all going to come together. <laughs> nice well, that's awesome. Now, like I said at the top, a lot of interviewers probably ask you about Impractical Jokers a lot. And you're welcome to. I'm still (laughs) Murph. But I'm actually going to ask about something a little bit more obscure because I'm a big fan of the recently concluded 12 Monkeys on Mm. Sci-Fi. And I have to ask how and why did the special appearance of the Impractical Jokers happen in season three last year are you guys fans or how did that happen? we we, we are fans I, i'm a huge fan but also just because of jokers the showrunner and creator and, and writer of, of 12 monkeys is a gentleman named terry metallis a dear friend of ours he is an, an excellent excellent writer and showrunner he was uh, a writer on star trek next generation voyager for many years uh, he's a uh, a huge jokers fan and reached out i think originally to q on twitter and they connected q and i are massive Back to the Future fans, and uh, and Terry has an actual reconstructed DeLorean, DeLorean from the yeah. movie, from <laughs> an actual movie DeLorean, not a replica, a movie DeLorean. You know what I mean? So when yeah. we were in LA like two years ago, we we met up with him for the first time, and he shows DeLorean. We we geeked out like all guys our age do over everything from Star Wars to you know he has Han Solo I think in Carbonite in his garage too, which is pretty fucking <laughs> awesome, right? So uh, and in my apartment I got a wall of lightsaber custom battle lightsabers, you know. So so we we totally 
clicked and became dear friends. And he said, you know what? Let me, let me, I, I love you guys so much. Let, let's see if we can work you into 12 monkeys. And I'm a huge 12 monkeys fan as well. And I uh, said, so, hell, that'd be awesome. You know, so Q was on an episode, I was in an episode, and then he had Joe and Sal on another episode. So he got all four <laughs> of us into the series before the series wrapped just recently. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was great. That was a highlight of season three. Yeah. And one last question about Awakened. I spotted the name Sal in Awakened. He was yeah. a guy who storms the pavilion with his runaway train. Yeah. Is is he modeled after Sal, and are the other guys in there too? Sal is <laughs> Sal. Well, the character, the two train operators are Sal and Q, for sure. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> Read them in Sal and Q's voice. That, I think the other guy's named Mike, but it is Sal and Q, most definitely. And Joe was in the book until... Here, there you go. You wanted to know uh, how Darren changed something in book one. Uh-huh. Joe was in the book. The, the, the character of Diego Munoz originally is now a Spanish guy from Brooklyn, Originally wasn't a Spanish guy from Brooklyn. He was a character called Dwight Andrews, who was like this kind of geeky kind of tech guy for the MTA. That was Joe. That was written after Joe. It sounded like Joe. It was most definitely Joe. And we decided <laughs> for a number of reasons to change the character. But so I originally had all four guys in it, all four of us in there. And uh, I think I kind of modeled Cafferty after me because um, I get stuck and obsessed with things too, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I modeled his personality flaws <laughs> on my own personality <laughs> flaws which the guys point out to me on a daily basis in jokers <laughs> <laughs> well it's been a lot of fun talking to you Mur, about awakened and i can't wait for next summer so that i can uh, get the next book oh thank you man and of course uh, you can go to awakenednovel.com and get the book anywhere and uh the brink comes out june 18th next year awesome thank you very much you got it bud thanks so much and of course james did mention June 18th next year. He meant 2019. This interview did happen in 2018, right around New York Comic-Con. And we're very grateful that James Murray was able to take some time to talk to us about his trilogy. And we can't wait to see what happens with The Brink. And of course, that third as yet untitled novel that will be coming out next summer. So it'll be a summer hit each of the next two years to finish out the trilogy. So hope you enjoyed this interview with James S. Murray, but that'll wrap things up for this episode. Come back in two weeks for the next edition of the podcast, when we'll break through the fourth wall once again to talk to another creator or performer from the entertainment that you love. Remember to follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. My name is Michael R. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Sci-Fi. Find more content at denofgeek.com. And thanks. Join us again next time, Beyond the Fourth Wall.